Hello, this is Richard Wilson with the Family Office Club, and today we have with us Juan Vargas, who I met through his Commit to Wealth podcast, and who is CEO of the Gen Wealth uh, Capital Group, and he's focused on multifamily investing. He's based out of Texas, and uh, welcome on the line here, Juan. Hey, Richard, it's a pleasure to be on uh, your show, and uh, you know, thank you so much for having me on. Yes. Uh, is there anything you want to add to your bio or your daily perspective that maybe I, I missed or you want to kind of emphasize for the listeners? Yeah, yes. As you mentioned, you know, I am the host of the Commit to Wealth podcast. Uh, it's a, a show that we, we focus on uh, real estate investing, uh, specifically in the commercial uh, sector uh, with uh, multifamily and uh, storage units and mobile home park investing. Um, and so, uh, those are the, the, the main niches that we focus on um, as far as my uh, general capital group. Uh, we've been a part of uh, six different deals, uh, mainly in Texas and the Dallas uh, market, um, in Memphis, Tennessee, Atlanta, and uh, we're looking to, to keep expanding you know, from here. I um, have a, uh, a deal under contract right now uh, also in Dallas and um, another one uh, that we're best and final on um, here within Texas as well. Sure, great. Uh, you know, with the Family Office Club has hosted events in both Dallas and Houston. How do you compare the two cities in terms of the number of investors and the investor community health in both locations? What's kind of your, your gut feeling for which city is a bit stronger uh, and has more, you know, high net worth investors, private investors, et cetera? Yeah, that's a very good question. I, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, good, uh, a good, good mixture of, of both. I think uh, you know, Dallas is so diverse as far as there are different sectors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's got finance, it's got tech, it's got it, pretty much you name it. It's got a little bit of everything in in the uh, Dallas Fort Worth market. Uh, there's a lot of capital sure. that's coming into Dallas. You know, from uh, the the co- the East Coast, the West Coast, um, and also international. Um, on the other side of that, you have Houston, which has uh, been known for oil and gas. You know, uh, traditionally. Uh, but it's also uh, much more diverse than, than what it has been uh, in the past, you know, say maybe the 80s uh, when we had a, a big crash. Um, and so it's, it's, they're, they're both a pretty diverse, uh, you know, towns and cities. Um, and you know, there's a lot of capital coming into it. There's a lot of job growth and, and population growth uh, coming into both of these cities, uh, which is both, you know, helping in the uh, number of uh, high net worth individuals that are coming in um, as well. And just because of the cost of living and, and the, um, you know, the the opportunities that that are here that are present, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I've heard that uh, you, know, you can pay someone three to four times more to live in New York City than you do in Dallas. And I heard that uh, I don't know the statistics for Houston or the state of Texas, but I heard 140,000 net people moved into Dallas last year, and only 40,000 net moved into New York City. Yeah, yeah. Houston and Dallas are actually having, you know, some of the, the biggest um, uh, migration in inward. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's California that's having the most exit uh, or, or negative uh, migration. And, and so sure. those people are actually coming into to the Houstons, uh, the Dallases, uh, uh, the Austins. Um, and so it's it just, just crazy the amount of, uh, the, of growth. You know, and everywhere you look, you know, there, there's cranes everywhere. It just keeps going. It, it is, there's no stopping into uh, to the state. Um, and, yeah. you know, 
today or or in the future. I don't I don't see it happening anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, in your business especially, it's interesting to look at in two ways. I mean, one is just the net demographic change is going to help with infill projects or new multifamily, uh, et cetera, because it's just more, you know, people need to find a place to live. But then also um, if you think about who is moving and what their motivations are, a percentage of it is people like me who you know, I used to live in Oregon, a high-tax state with high regulations, high taxes, and they basically paid me to leave. They're like, oh, we don't want you business people here. Get out of here. <laughs> you make some yeah. money. Get get out. You know, go to Florida. Go to Texas. And uh, you know, ended up in in Florida, not Texas. But I, I would guess that um, the net population people moving there is going to be slanted towards people who could be potential investors for you, for example, or being a nicer quality, you know, multifamily, et cetera. So that's interesting. Um, you know, what about the deals, the six deals you've been uh, part of today, I mean, how important do you think it is that investors were local to the deal or local to you? In every case, was one of those two things the case, or do you bring in a Chicago investor, and even though you're in Houston and the deal's in Dallas or the deal is in another state, uh, you've been able to convert investors from somewhat random places, and they don't need to be local to you or the asset? Yeah, that's a very good question. I, I think um, really, it really depends on if uh, where, where they live and where they're based in. If they can find those same kind of opportunities in their backyard, um, then maybe there wouldn't be that need for them to to come to to Texas, right? Uh, so, for example, we have a lot of investors, you know, from California. Uh, why why that is? Well, it's it's pretty simple. It's just that the the cost of living there is is, is pretty crazy. Um, so, therefore, uh, a lot of people uh, a lot of people can't uh, necessarily rent there, right? So. Uh, the the landlord is not really a landlord uh, friendly state either, um, and so the the whole business environment, the whole um, uh, rental environment is just not as healthy as it is like in a, in a Texas, uh, which where we we do have the landlord friendly um, uh, laws and we do have uh, a state that has no income taxes. You know, so it's it just a lot of different uh, mixtures that that make it uh, very attractive. So. Uh, we do have investors, you know, from from both sides of of, uh, of the coast of the of the nation, um, and you know, it, we do have a, a, a large mixture of people uh, that already live here in Texas uh, that are investing in our deals as well, um, and that's because they feel comfortable uh, with with Texas. You know, this is their backyard; they, they know the market, um, and so they're not going to be investing in, in other states. Um, and, and frankly, there's really not a lot of reason to, to invest outside of Texas because there's, there's already a lot of opportunity here. Um, so, sure. so yeah, we, we have a, we have a good mixture. I would say 50 somewhere. It's close to 50-50, to be honest with you, um, on on the number of investors we have outside versus the number of investors that we have here uh, locally. Interesting. Okay, great. And um, has the podcast helped with attracting some potential investors and generating new relationships, or is it more helped with deal flow and just being kind of smart on what's going on in the marketplace? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's a combination of both. Um, you know, I definitely have had you know many people reach out to me because of the podcast. Uh, the podcast has definitely helped uh, to bring awareness um, into the the kind of you know activity that I'm doing. Uh, but but also you know really the, the main thing that I try to do with the podcast is to provide value uh, to those um, out there that are either a looking to to get into their own deals, uh, maybe they're they're trying to find or buy their own deals or, or syndicate their own deals, um, and, and b you know those 
uh, who are who are busy individuals that that, that listen to my podcast, uh, that maybe maybe have a retirement account that are you know that they have from an old job uh, that they can put to work you know in a, a specific opportunity uh, investment opportunity. So it's definitely a you know a, a good mixture, and I try to you know keep it as uh, value oriented as possible, and just keep pumping content out there as, as much as I can, you know. Yeah, yeah, I've seen some some groups out there that just because of their podcast, um, they've been able to to bring in twenty, forty, seventy five million dollars, and I think that's something that's going to continue. Uh, and there'll be people out there who will raise hundred million plus many times over long term because of the killer podcast or their, their podcast got popular or it was in a unique area. So um, since we both run one, I think it's interesting to, to look at those case studies and, and people like yourself making progress. Um, and then also related to the podcast, you how many people have you had on the Commit to Wealth podcast over the past year or so? Yeah, that's a good question because I do, uh, you know, I do a mixture of having like an additional episode a week um, where, you know, I can provide some tips or, or value. Um, but I, I've had a good number of uh, guests, you know, I would say it's, it's over the, the 50 range, um, you know, great guests um, on the podcast, you know, definitely from guys that have had um, uh, invested in, in over 150,000 uh, multifamily units um, or to the guys that have, um, you know, passive invested in deals to, to syndicators to uh, Robert Kiyosaki for those of the guys out there listening that that may know who he is. Um, so a lot of great guests that, that definitely have um, have been on the show, and you know, myself, I myself have learned a ton from them, um, and that's one of the values of having a podcast. You know, I would say is, is just to uh, just being inter- being able to interview a bunch of different people who are experts in their specific uh, fields and, and niches and and just learning, you know, different uh, strategies that, that work in their specific markets uh, geographically um, and also their, their sector. Uh, but, uh, you know, I really have, have enjoyed that. And, you know, in addition, you know, my audience, you know, which is, you know, the main reason why I do it is has, um, has definitely learned a lot, you know, and, and help, help, has helped them with their business endeavors as well. Sure, sure. And uh, from those 50 or so interviews, it's a lot of commercial real estate and real estate real estate expert brains that you have accessed. Um, what are a couple golden threads or common trends for people who have made it? And they're really just, you know, they're getting a deal done every quarter or they're raising a lot of capital or they really have a unique strategy. Are there a couple things you've picked out and really kind of told yourself, like, well, I'm going to start doing that or that's the way of the future or, you know, it seems like out of those 50, the, the top 10 that are really killing it are, are doing X, is there any insights you've gained from doing all those interviews that you've kind of picked out for yourself to employ? Yeah, yeah. So, so first and foremost, uh, uh, number one thing is to uh, to make sure that people will know about you. Um, and, you know, that it makes it easier for people to do business with you, right? So if, uh, if, you, don't, if you don't have your name out there, then um, how are people going to be able to find out about you? Um, so I would say the number one thing for anybody out there listening um, you know, that either wants to get into their own deals or e- even if you want to invest in deals, people have to know that you exist. Um, and how do you do that? That's, you know, through, uh, you know, going to different events, uh, conferences, uh, you know, learning from other people, meeting people. I mean, that's one of the first things, you know, that's, uh, you know, I guess uh, business one-on-one, right? Um, and then the other thing 
is in the actual deals that you're doing and you're being a part of um, to make sure that, uh, that, you know, they're conservative. Um, and, you know, that's one thing that, uh, that we have uh, definitely been, been doing is make sure that our, our underwriting is conservative for, for our investors. Um, and so we underpromise over deliver. It's kind of, kind of what we try to do. Um, uh, but at the same time, you, you can't be overly conservative either, you know, um, on the same note, you know, because then you're not going to get anything. So uh, go, going back to your original question of how do you, you know, the people that, that keep acquiring properties or, or, or bringing up, you know, different investment opportunities, well, they're being conservative, but they're, at the same time, you know, they're, they're, being out there, they're being out there, they're being active, they're, they're submitting offers, um, and you just got to keep pushing, you know. So um, that's, those are some of the things that I've seen, you know, from, from, uh, from all the interviews is, you know, they, they are definitely active um, and, you know, they take action. You know, they, whenever there's a good opportunity in front of them, uh, they, they move on it. They don't, they don't sit there and think about it too much. Yeah, for sure. We're taking lots of actions or just taking a lot of action on one project uh, when it's the number one most important thing. It's something I've seen uh, commonly upon those that are most successful as well in, in private equity or real estate. Um, so what about when it comes to your uh, multifamily strategy and the angle that you take? There's so many apartment buildings out there. You could be investing in, and there's so many independent sponsors and investment funds focusing on that space. How do you differentiate yourself, and what's the strategy that you're high conviction on that, that seems to be working? Yeah, yeah. So we focus in in Texas. I know I did mention, you know, outside of Texas, like in Atlanta, but uh, our main uh, focus is in Texas, um, you know, and what we look for is uh, workforce housing, uh, you know, value-add opportunities. Um, so we look for the, the primary markets um, within Texas, um, you know, because we try to look at the, uh, the exit strategy as well. Um, and so any, any opportunity that we get into, uh, that's one of the things, the most important things is, you know, what is going to happen here in, in five to seven years when we go to exit. Um, is this, uh, first of all, a market where people want to be in, where a new buyer will want to be a part of? Um, and then second of all, is this sub-market within this major market um, and, and this property uh, type, you know, something that's going to be attractive, you know, um, upon exit? So th- those are some of the things that we look at, um, for our investment strategy, um, but it, yeah, it is it is workforce workforce housing with a you know some type of uh, value add opportunity, um, you know because the majority of the tenant base out there uh, that is renters uh, that live in multifamily. Uh, I'm not speaking you know uh, single family, but I'm just speaking of the multifamily renter nation out there um, are you know class B, uh, which is uh, the the asset class that we focus on, which is more the 80s, uh, maybe 70s. 70s, 80s, 90s product. Um, so the majority of the tenant base out there are uh, Class B tenants, um, workforce housing. So that's what we cater to, and that's what we focus on. Sure. Okay. And uh, what's the number one lesson that you've learned so far as it relates to multifamily investing from your from your own work? Yeah, um, that is to uh, you know I said it earlier uh, to to make sure that we're conservative um, because. We just don't know what's, what's going to happen, especially like in, in these days, um, maybe, you know, five years ago, six years ago, you know, you, you can buy a good uh, opportunity or be a part of an, a good opportunity. But uh, the, the wave kind of pushes you up, right? The, the tide pushes you up because we're, we're towards the bottom of the market. Um, and so there was just uh, nowhere to go but up. Um, so you can be a mediocre, I guess, operator and still make out well. Um, so 
um, that's one thing I would say for uh, out there, anybody out there listening is uh, make sure that, you know, people have some experience, you know, um, long-term experience, not just here in the last, you know, uh, year or two. Um, and, and so that, that's, that's what we, we try to do is just be conservative um, and, and expect the, you know, some of the worst um, here to come. And if, if your numbers work out at, at, at those, uh, at those worst case scenarios, um, and, you know, it's a good market and, you know, there's a lot of uh, good indicators that are uh, in your favor for that market, uh, job growth, population growth, uh, rent growth, uh, then, then you, you move forward with it, you know. So I would say the uh, number one thing is, is to be conservative um, with your underwriting and your opportunities. Sure. And then uh, my last question, and I'll give you a chance to add anything that uh, you would like to get across, um, is for an investor listening to this, Maybe they've trusted a couple independent sponsors with their money. Maybe they're getting and conducting due diligence on a couple right now. Uh, what advice do you have on really checking one out, making sure that they're the right one, making sure that they're not a, a fraud, that they're not just kind of doing this part-time, they're not really going to do a great job for you? I mean, how, how would you advise investors to kind of de-risk the process of selecting a few independent sponsors to work with? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, really, you have to look at the track record. Um, Look, look at what they've done in the past. Um, now, I would say on the same note that, you know, past performances don't necessarily indicate uh, future performances. Um, and a lot of that could be because of the market, uh, again, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, but you really do got, have to look at the, their, uh, their past performances, um, their track record, uh, maybe talk to other investors who have invested with, with that specific sponsor, um, kind of, you know, get, get to know them and, get, and ask them, you know, why, they decided to go with them, how their process went. Um, and, and, you know, knowing also, uh, you know, getting to know the, the actual sponsors and making sure that they have uh, the highest of integrity, uh, making sure that they communicate properly. Um, you know, those are some really key, uh, you know, uh, uh, details that, that people need to know about, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, the communication is one of the biggest things as well. You know, as I mentioned, um, if they're not communicating properly with you, uh, they're not um, – uh, on time, they're not, uh, you know, returning your phone calls, your emails, uh, then, then those are already, you know, signs that, you know, you might have to, um, you know, you might have to pass or, you know, those are some, some early indicators that, you know, maybe the way the process might work out um, throughout the, the life of the, the investment. Right, right. Yeah, that's a great point. I think, like, the way that people act and perform in, in little ways can be reflective of how they think and might treat you long term. And if it's it's bad upfront before you put money down, then it might be even worse potentially uh, down the road. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add in that you didn't have a chance to get a talk about or I didn't ask you about that you wish I did? Um, no, no. I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, we, we, we hear on a lot of different uh, pieces, but, but I think, um, you know, if people want to find out more about what we do, I mean, they can go to genwealthcapital.com. Uh, uh, they want to listen to the podcast. Um, it's on iTunes, you know, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, pretty much all the platforms out there. Um, that, and that is called Commit to Wealth. Um, and, uh, you know, you can check out the website as well, committowealth.com. Uh, so, uh, but, yeah, I, I do appreciate your time, uh, Richard. And it was, it was a pleasure to be on. Um, uh, I want to thank you for that. And, um, you know, hope everybody that, that was listening was able to get a couple of different pieces of uh, good, good tips and advice. Yeah, yeah, thanks for being on the, the Family Office podcast, and I hope to have you on again sometime. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Appreciate it. You... Right, take care, Juan. All right, thank you, Richard. Appreciate it.